Me and my cousins. It's a podcast. Three guys, three decades, three perspectives. Me and my cousins. It's a podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Me and My Cousins podcast. As always, this episode is brought to you by Bean Mug and Coffee, the roast from the coast. For November, they just introduced K-Cups and Coffee from Honduras. Please check them out. And if you do, use promo code COUSINS10. That's lowercase C-O-U-S-I-N-S, the number one, the number zero, for 10% off your order. Bean Mug and Coffee, the roast from the coast. Now, this week on Me and My Cousins, I had to replace the cousins. I had to tell Mike and Kenny to take a seat on the bench and bring out two of my best friends in the world to celebrate the beginning of the holidays and kicking off the 2020 holiday season. Obviously, it's been a crazy year, um, but we're gonna, it's the 18th anniversary, the weekend before Thanksgiving, of probably the craziest weekend in any of our lives, and we've had some crazy weekends as a trio. I got uh, one of my best friends, Thomas Metter Martin, who lives down in Raleigh, North Carolina. One of my other best friends, Nick Mello, who lives up in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, in the early 2000s, we all lived in Raleigh, North Carolina. We're all working in college athletics at NC State. And I want to talk, we're going to talk about that weekend. And the reason I'm putting this out there for everybody is my, my all my names on social media are Mr. Fifth Round. All my, my website stuff is Fifth Round Movement. And I get asked a lot why that is. Like, why are you a boxer? Did you do MMA? I, I have a face that looks like I've been beaten up a lot of times, right? But I really, I've never done any kind of combat sports. It all stems from this one weekend and us screaming fifth round over and over and over again over like a 72-hour period back in the fall of uh, 2002. So I want to kick off the holidays with the guys that have kind of been the, the very beginning of all the online stuff I've done for the past 10 years and a lot of stuff I've done on stage for the past seven years. So super shout out to them. I'm really happy they made time for me today. And then uh, we'll bring Mike and Kenny back right after Thanksgiving. Uh, we got a cool couple episodes planned out for December, which I think you guys will like. That being said, uh, I want to talk about everything that happened in the early 2000s and introduce uh, first Thomas Better Martin and then Nick Mello. Thomas, how you doing, man? Jello, what's up, man? Thank you so much for doing this. I'm pumped to be here. Hopefully, this is a this is my first podcast. I've been mentioned on several podcasts, sometimes in a positive light, sometimes in a negative light. And if this goes well, I think it's going to be a stepping stone for me to eventually get on the Taylor Allen podcast, which is mainly my goal for being here today. Uh, I'm okay. I'm okay being a stepping stone podcast. I, I understand. Um, and we're, we're talking about too, we we kind of all met through through like a stepping stone job more or less. I'm gonna talk about why that was so special. We all got to be together for that year in 2001. But before we get to that, Nick, how are you doing? Doing well, Ange. Thank you for having me on your podcast, man. It's an uh, honor. Appreciate that, guys. So just real quick, what uh, what, college athletics is a weird profession, and mainly it's just everybody is so transient, right? The players stay around for four years max, two or three if they're really good. The coaches either do well and move on to a bigger job or do bad and get fired. And support staff, like we were, either come to their senses and get out of it like you guys did or move around a good bit like I did and stay in, in the profession. But so when you get a year where all three of those components are kind of like good people, where you don't mind being around and have a good time hanging out together, and then the teams are good, it's very rare. I've been in the game for a long time. It's only happened a handful of times in my life. And I always say on podcasts and when I get interviewed about what I'm doing in comedy now, I always go back to those first couple of years in Asbury in 2013 and 14 were special because I was old enough to know it was special. Those two, the year we were together in 2001, I was too young to realize 
how special that was, how lightning in a bottle it was to have that many cool people in one place at one time while the teams were doing good, right? So this is like probably the, the renaissance of NC State Athletics. Matter, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's Chuck Amato, it's Herb Sendak, it's Philip Rivers, it's Julius Hodge, it's Antonio Burnett, it's Mario Williams, it's teams that are regularly beating Duke and Carolina, which hardly ever happens in that 100-plus year rivalry. Um, and it's just kind of a great time to be around Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, Meta, would you agree with that? Man, totally. So one thing, like, I wanted to bring up, I don't know if Nick remembers this, but one thing, like, like the lightning in the bottle thing about all of us good friends, you know, your friends coming down from Jersey, but the, the game that weekend was NC State and Florida State. And everybody knows I'm a monster Florida State fan. I've been a Florida State fan since I was a little kid. I didn't know any better. My family was from Florida. Like, I thought I, thought I lived in Florida until I was, like, eight. Like, I didn't know. Like, you see me, I'm wearing FSU gear. So the game that weekend was FSU football in Raleigh against NC State. And NC State, like, absolutely killed my Seminoles. Like, it, it tremendous football team. Um, you know, Florida State's got three national championships. And, it, and NC State was routinely beating them back then. Like, that's how special, you know, that, that group was. Yeah, man, I think obviously what was going on the field was super special, on the court was super special, but we had a, it's an almost absurd group of people all worked there at the same time. Everybody was like their first job out of college. Um, so we were like mature enough to be starting professional careers, but young enough to still want to have fun and hang out with each other. And then it, you know, Nick was there. The, the, I always say that the, the way I book in that period of my life is when I got to Raleigh, in July of 2001 until Nick left in May of 2002. And that was kind of the, the end of that era for me. Um, and then when Nick came back for fifth round weekend in November, just a couple months later, and it was kind of, say it's like an episode of the office where Todd Packer comes back where it's like the regular episodes are pretty good. They're still funny. But then when like you get that one extra guest character, it's even better. Um, so Nick, what were you doing in 2000 when you, between when you left and when you came back, what were you doing? I was uh, waiting tables, Angelo, and uh, making some decent money. There's a high-end Italian restaurant in the city, and I was making cash money. It was the first time making money because that, that year at, at NC State, as a GA, you know, I was living off of $120 every two weeks, which is amazing to think now. I mean, there are days where I can't go beyond noontime without spending $120, never mind using for two weeks. So it was great because you're, you know, you're at that time, maybe 24 making, uh, you know, back then, like making a thousand dollars a week was, you know, you're a flush. And, uh, I was getting back to, you know, being able to do some more things and spending money and, but, uh, you know, again, no, no worries going out, uh, pissing off my parents. Like when are you going to get a real <laughs> job? But, uh. Again, I, I, I always tell all these millennials that, that graduate and they want to start their careers right away. It's like, go wait tables for a year. Figure out what you want to do. Enjoy yourself for a year. Yeah, yeah. just to put in perspective how little money is in college athletics. At this time, I was working at an ACC school as a full-time employee, valet parking cars as many nights as I could <laughs> just to fill my cargo shorts with as many dollars and fives as I could just to have money to live. 
Um, yes. And that's it's it's I always say there's a lot of good things about working in college athletics. Obviously, it, it's I think it's about to change a lot with COVID and a lot of the, the laws that are being passed in certain states where players want to make money off their likenesses. Um, but the last where we were that the era we were in. Um, it was like a weirdly, like an oddly prestigious job that didn't come with a lot of money. It was like, oh, you got an official Under Armour polo shirt. You must be an important person. And you're like, nah, man, I just made $50 for a 16-hour workday. Um, yeah. But, it, yeah, so, I mean, I always say I give both of you guys a ton of credit for getting out of it when you did. I stay, I'm still in it now. Um, it, it's cool. There's good parts of it. But uh, it's not as financially rewarding as, as some other professions and stuff you guys have gotten into probably is. So that, that being said, I want to bring us to uh, 2002. So just the, where the world is in 2002. And Nick told you where he was. Uh, Metter had just got out of the game. I think it was Valley Park and Cars full-time. I was Valley Park and Cars part-time. and still working at NC State. Um, but you know, like some things we were doing in the fall of 2002, we were playing Grand Theft Auto 3 on our PS2s. We were chirping each other on Nextel phones. Uh, we were sharing our AIM screen name, kind of the very early stages of social media. And then real quick story about uh, AOL Instant Messenger. The weekend after this, I signed up for Instant Messenger, and I made my screen name Mr. Fifth Round because I love this weekend so much. And that was kind of like the, the beginning of everything I eventually did online. Uh, biggest pop stars are Britney Spears, Jennifer Lopez, and we're all curious if Justin Timberlake could do it without InSync. Uh, we're partying songs by Ja Rule, Nelly, and in Raleigh, especially Petey Pablo. And Star Wars, The Clone Wars, was the, the biggest movie of the year in 2002. Uh, doesn't hold up great 18 years later when there's probably some better Star Wars movies out there. But that's kind of and the, the, probably the biggest thing that affected us. Right around that weekend, 8 Mile came out, and the whole world started to want to battle rap each other, which eventually affected you know, me and Metter going at each other in some, some battles after a couple of cocktails later on. But uh, Metter, talk about fifth round weekend specifically, man. You had left NC State. You were kind of kind of branching out, trying to do career things. Me and you were still hanging out pretty often. And then we were having fun weekends. We were doing, you know, partying, having a good time. But then when Nick came back, it was just, it was different. That weekend hit different. That was something, that was a, we, we supersized the weekend. Uh, we t- talk about that era in your life, Metter. So, yeah, I was, I was valet parking cars. I was waiting tables like Nick. I was a lifeguard for the city. Uh, you, you and I had a business venture that you know we were trying to get off the ground. But yeah, like you said, like the the weekends were you know pretty much you know what we were living for. Um, the, but yeah, the weekend that hit different. You know, we found out like Nick was coming to town. The Faz brothers were coming to town. We. Uh, the uh, also, I don't know if you guys remember. I might have mentioned this to Nick last night. Do you also remember this was the weekend I couldn't go to my house? Like I was one of three roommates in my house, and there was a guy calling me that was dating a young lady that I used to date. And he was basically telling me like he was going to drive to town, beat me up, <laughs> like in my house. But he was as threatening as it was, it was almost like he would call me and try to schedule when I was going to be home. Cause he was like, as soon as I get off work on Friday, I'm going to get in my car. I'm going to drive two hours East. I'm going to be at your house. I have the address. I'm going to pull your eyeballs out of your head. And then I was like, uh, I'm not going to be here. You know, like Mr. Miyagi said, the best defense is no be there. So I was like, I can't be at my house this weekend. So it actually fell in line more perfect than you're even saying because I couldn't even go to my own house. I remember trying to get clothes, you know, that that Saturday morning. I went to my house at 4 a.m., broke <laughs> in through the back screen, walked through my house with a flashlight, 
threw some stuff in a duffel bag and I was like, I won't be back here until Sunday night when, cause I knew that guy had to work in the morning. Like he, you know, threatening to beat me up really bad. But he, you know, we also talked about schedules and what time is good for you to get beat up. That's not going to work for me. So I, like, I, pretty much that whole weekend, I could not, could not be there. I don't know if y'all remember that. Like I was scared. I was, I was just like a, you know, curmudgeon looking guy, like living, living out of a gym bag the whole time. There was um that that fight was almost being scheduled like a Conor McGregor fight where you guys were negotiating the time and place the fight would happen in and whether or not there would be an official weigh-in and drug testing before and after the fight happened. Um, but as far as the way you looked that weekend, I do. Me and you were very we're, we're still obviously very close friends, but we don't live near each other anymore. But we were super tight. Where like if you were going out at night, I knew where you were gonna be, kind of thing, right? But you were laying solo that weekend. I walked in a bar on Friday night. I can't remember the name. Of it, but I know before that, me, me and Nick went to see Bob Schimmel, who unfortunately passed away. It was very funny at Charlie Goodnight's Comedy Club with some of the some of the people we knew. And then we went to Crowley's for a drink, and you were in the back in the darkest corner of the darkest bar in Raleigh, dressed like a longshoreman, black pea coat, black scully hat, aviator sunglasses at night in the dark, um, just having. A, I think you were drinking by yourself, and I was like the hell's going on, man? What are you doing here? And you're like, ah, man, it's a long story. I'll tell you later. I can't go home until Monday. <laughs> and yeah, I was like, go ahead. Walk, walking in that bar, like the guy didn't even ID me because he thought I was a bouncer. He's like, you know, like we're hiring five, eight bouncers now. Like this is like Crowley's not that rough a place. Like I, I was walking in, like I pretty much had to, like the nights were were especially when I was afraid this guy was just going to show up. So Crowley's, I had never hung out there. Like I knew I couldn't go to the places where, you know, like he knew that I hung out with. So like Crowley's, like, I think it was all of our first times there that night. So I like went majorly low key, like undercover. And then you, once, once, you, once, by, you went undercover to the level where you, I think made yourself actually more suspicious. <laughs> Yeah, people people started staring at me to the point where several people in the bar recognized me. And you were like the tenth person that came up to me and was like, "Why are you wearing this? Like, why you you look like the guy on the like the what is it the uh, the salt guy or whatever? Like, it almost like the killer from a Know What You Did Last Summer. But I like I was trying to be like so not stand stand outish. Like I actually stood out. Like you know, people were just like, "What's up with this guy? Why is he in the corner?" sitting specifically at a candlelit table, drinking alone. And then in probably the most 2002 move over the weekend, Nick flew into town either Thursday or Friday and immediately went to the Crabtree Valley Mall and bought just the smoothest, softest, most luxurious Adidas gunmetal gray velour sweatsuit I had ever seen, right? And I think he bought some fresh white Adidas shoes to go with it. And that's what he was, yeah, that's what he was wearing. And I remember I, I at the time I was referring to myself as the king of all sports jerseys because this is like the throwback era. So I believe I was wearing like an Edger and James Colts jersey, some very baggy Mark Echo jeans and probably unlaced Timberlands. Nick was wearing that sweatsuit. Meta was dressed like a longshoreman. And we're sitting at a table legitimately thinking we're the coolest people on earth. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I still have that suit in my closet. I wear it to this day. Yeah. It holds up unbelievable. It's, <laughs> It's a gunmetal, and when the sun hits it perfectly, it turns into, like, an eggplant purple. Yeah, it was, like, I, I know when, like, when our parents era would talk about, like, a shark skin jacket, that's what I envision a shark skin jacket looks like. Yeah. 
Um, so that so that was that was the Friday. Me and Nick went to a comedy club, and then we went to Crowley's, where Metter was hiding, for lack of a better term. And then Saturday was kind of like the big day. Saturday was the centerpiece. Uh, we, Florida State played NC State at the at a time when both were very good, and NC State was probably a little better, if I'm correct, right, Metter? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we had it. It was a down year for FSU, and I'm trying to remember the actual game time. And if if you and I had to work in the morning, or if we got up. Because, like, I remember being in the parking lot of your apartment early and thinking, man, this thing's going to – because it was like we tailgated at your apartment. We tailgated at the game. We went in the game. I was so disappointed with how the Seminoles were playing. We just went back to the parking lot. I don't – was that a noon game time? It was we- It was early, and I think we did have some work to do in the morning, right? And then we, but pretty early on, we were in my house tailgating, getting ready for the game. Um, and I, it might have been, it had to be noon because so many things happened after the game. There's no way it could have been any later, and all those other things could have happened, right? Because we went from the game back to the parking lot to a Chinese buffet, and then to a couple different bars, and then back to my house all before like midnight. So it had to be a noon game. And one thing, hey, I'm, I don't have rose-colored glasses. There's a lot of issues in college athletics, and you can argue with concussions and other – football is not maybe the best thing anymore in our society. But if you've never been to a big-time college football game like NC State versus Florida State on a Saturday in a town where literally like 80% of the population of the town is at the game, it, it is powerful. It's real with the, the bands and the fireworks and this national anthem – it's really, it really is something else. And uh, being being away from that for so long, being at a school without football and living in the Northeast where college football is not that big a deal. I will say to everybody, if you get a chance when the world goes back to normal to go see a, a big time, it's different than the NFL. It's obviously different than high school. It's different than football, basketball, or hockey. Uh, it's just college football is really something else to be a part of. And and Metter grew up in that. I think Nick grew up a Notre Dame fan. I would be in New Jersey. College football just wasn't really a thing in my life. Rutgers always been really really bad and the other teams weren't a thing here um but being a part of that for a couple years was really fun though um so for you guys how'd that game compare to other games you went to or just the whole college football landscape at the time i'll uh can i can i just just to let the listeners know like you know that here in north carolina i don't you know several i know like you know your cut like kenny's been down here uh his sister's been down here who was awesome um but like where i live like Tobacco Road, like literally uh, the University of North Carolina is 18 miles from my house. Duke University is 22 miles from my house. NC State University is probably 11 miles from my house. I live North Raleigh in Wake Forest. The original, and and that's not where the college is anymore, but the original school is 1.1 miles from my house. It's being used as a uh, seminary now. But the um, just like like you were building up college athletics, it, it's all I knew growing up. Like it's all like this was the biggest thing. Michael Jordan, like you know from UNC, like but you're the greatest NBA player of all time. Like uh, no doubt about it. It's definitely not LeBron. But like you know like you you fly to California. I was in San Francisco for like ten days. Every you know everybody's wearing you know you see the Air Jordan logo. You know Jumpman's a big deal. Like he pretty much like. Almost like I would argue he made Nike what Nike is. And that guy, like, you know, he grew up two hours from my house. Like it's it's uh, it's the college football, like encourage everybody to be a part of it, you know, somehow, some way. Um, 
get back Nate, to what, are your, uh, what were your college football experiences prior to NC State and once you got there? Uh, it was pretty much all football experience. You know, in Boston, there's BC, but it's like, you know, maybe the fourth or fifth sport that's discussed in the, you know, the sports page of the, new, the local newspaper. Um, I hated BC just because living in Boston, it's kind of like the, the locals versus the, the transplants from you know, all the college students. Um, so I never cared much for BC. Uh, so really, that was my first exposure to college football, big stadium. Boston College is, you know, there's some there's some high school stadiums in Texas that are bigger than Boston College's uh, football stadium. So for me, that was my first experience. After the NC State, I, I got the opportunity to go to a couple of Notre Dame games. But yeah, it was electric. But I think the, the thing I, I remember the most, I don't remember that much about that game. I remember the tailgate. Yeah, because talk people, about that. Most college kids or people that go to college football games when they tailgate, they're drinking whatever light beer. We were drinking Grey Goose. Yeah, which is a bad recipe for yeah. college football. You don't really tailgate with with vodka. Well, that's yeah, the we thing. That's that. the thing. Would you, Nick? Would you agree? Vodka is more of a sprint drink, and a tailgating day is more of a marathon event. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> oh, we, we were we we bought a um. I think I remember it was like a like a magnum sized bottle of vodka, like two liters or something. And uh, we saw one of our our old friends from the baseball team, and he commented that said we're drinking a bottle of vodka that's bigger than Angela's leg. I was literally just gonna say that. <laughs> that bottle of Grey Goose was on the mantle at some point in Jello's apartment. It, it was almost like a display. That like they put in the storefront to let you know they sold Grey Goose, and I think Faz walked in there and was like, "How much for that?" And you know he, they weren't selling the neon sign. He bought the like the display Grey Goose. Like that thing was huge. He he also the next day on Sunday morning woke up and said to me, "Yesterday I estimate I drank twelve to fifteen beers and that much vodka, and held his fingers about six inches apart on that giant bottle." And I remember thinking, like, even by, like, fifth-round weekend standards, that's a lot of alcohol. It's That bottle was difficult to navigate as far as trying to pour it into in various cups that we had, glasses that we had, mugs that we had. Just trying, just trying to tote that thing around was a hassle. I remember commenting, like, we almost need a wagon, like, to just move, move that huge bottle around with us from, like, spot to spot. So, so from what I remember, and you guys tell me if I'm if I'm right about this, we went to the game. I believe NC State won, correct, Matter? Yeah, yeah, they won. Okay. So NC State wins. Uh, to explain this to people not in college football towns, when the team wins, you know, mo- most weekends in college towns are fun. There's a lot of house party, and not the coronavirus era, the regular world. There's house parties, the bars are packed. There's, there's just stuff going on. Bands are playing. All that stuff's going on. When the team wins, that goes from ten to like 11, right? Like on Spinal Cap, they, Spinal Tap, they take it to level 11. Um, and that kind of kicks the whole town. And not just young people, it's college kids, it's little kids, it's old people. Everybody's weekend goes to the next level when the team wins. And we were having a great weekend already. So now the home team wins. We go maybe back to my house for a minute, get changed possibly, I think, for being outside and sweating all day. It's still pretty warm in North Carolina in November. And then we go to a Chinese buffet, and then we go right to the bars after that. Is that am I remembering that properly? That's how I think it went down, and this was probably the first of the three times that I passed out during the event, 
was physically at the buffet. Yeah, at the buffet, I, I had sat down with a plate of beef and broccoli, and I couldn't find Metter, right? And I was like, where's Metter? And a young woman pulled him out from under the booth, and he was like so so no blood in his face. He looked like a, a CPR mannequin that you learn CPR and life-saving techniques from. And at the time, I was not yet an American Red Cross instructor, and I was like, what are we going to do? And then he just woke up and ate egg rolls if nothing was, was wrong. Yeah, somebody must have fixed me a plate because I think I was horrible Chinese food. Yeah, it was the kind of restaurant that I think did well because people would go there right from hours of tailgating. Um, yeah, like I don't think they did a good like Monday Monday afternoon dinner kind of thing. Ten ten. North Carolina is not known for its Chinese food, and then we go ahead and we throw caution to the wind. And we say, let's go to a Chinese buffet restaurant. And where I think I dropped the lowest level of Chinese food. Where I think I dropped the ball was I had, you know, Nick was back in town from Boston. The Faz brothers were in town for maybe their first trip from New Jersey. We should have went to Bojangles or, uh, you know, uh, Cracker Barrel or something. I remember that from the beginning when I started to go, when I, when I first moved there, I was a little homesick. He said, come on, Nick, I'll take you to a, a pizza restaurant. You took me to some pizza buffet place. That was like eating frozen pizza. It made me even more homesick. Yeah. <laughs> CC's. He took you to CC's, which, uh. CC's. What the. This crap, Ange. At CC's Pizza, you could get a buffet. Literally, all the pizza you can stomach for $3.99 now. It might have been $2.99 back then. Um, <clears> which <throat> I, I agree. The Nick, the quality is is horrible. You can't even justify it. It's, it's a, probably a step below 7 Eleven pizza. Um, but it, I don't know, man. That price is that price is pretty attractive. You could hold up a full slice of pizza, and not one inch of that pizza would bend. There's something wrong with that slice of pizza. Because that, if it's sitting erect in your hands, that's not a good slice of pizza. But the- yeah, it was uh, oddly enough, a CC's opened in New Jersey recently. Um, I can't imagine you're going to be around that long with all the good mom and pop <laughs> the pizza. Is you're so offended by how bad it was, they burned down the restaurant. Yeah, I was just going to say, somebody <laughs> threw a Molotov cocktail through the window on opening night. Yeah. Um, so, the, all right, so, that, so Saturday we went out. We went. To, I know we went to a place called Pantana Bob's PB. It was popular with the young people. Um, what else happened that night, Matter, in your recollection? What am I missing? The Yeah, we so PB's, which doesn't exist anymore. So, the number one, the Chinese restaurant – is gone. Uh, I, I think it's a sushi place now with the same owners, which is even more messed up. PB's is gone, but like PB's was like the spot, you know, like, so like, I, I, I think I had to change clothes again. I was wearing like another disguise as we walked into PB's, but like, there's two parts of PB's there's, there's the inside. But if you were like anybody that knew anybody, you went to the outside deck with the outside bar. Like the losers were inside looking at the at the girls on the dance floor. Everybody that was anybody at that in that era at NC State was on the back deck. And that's me and Nick were trying to figure this out. Jello, was that the night, the break yourself dusty night? Yeah. Yeah, that so, was that night. What what happened was we were out with a we got a crew, we had at least 20 people deep by the time we got there, right? Um, and some of them were very large, intimidating people. And a kid, a kid named Dustin, I don't know how I knew his name was Dustin. Maybe his friends call that. Bumped into me very innocuously and and apologized almost immediately, right? But I think I was just feeling real self confident. 
and I, I said, I, I don't know, I, I mouthed it off in some capacity, something I never do anymore. And then I think I told him to break himself and, and like threw a bottle at his feet. But I was surrounded by so many big, intimidating dudes. He like walked away with his head down. Um, I remember at the time thinking that was awesome. And now as a, as a grown up, uh, I don't, I don't not so super proud of that moment, but is that about the way you guys remember that? It's you were flanked by a guy that had just been drafted by the Chicago Cubs. He was like six, five, he weighed like two forty, And then I can't remember the other, it might've been the kid. It might've been Mooney from Boston. Like I'm trying it to might have been, or it might've been my roommate at the time, uh, EJ, who was a pretty big guy himself. Um, so I, but it was two very large guys I was standing next to. And I, I just, uh, I don't know, man, I didn't, I, I, I acted out of character, I guess for a minute, like, even any other time in my life that I would have like shaken the kid's hand and kept it moving. I'm not sure why I did that. Um, yeah, but man, I don't, being so disrespectful to him and he was being so apologetic to you i know i know there's no i'm not justifying this i'm saying you were screwing with his mind or something i'm saying everybody makes mistakes myself included i had a great weekend i had two or three bad minutes and thankfully for everybody that that kid didn't it didn't turn in any more than that i think it's just we could all, i think we could all move on from this fellow so what happened after that i think i think uh blanton ended up buying Dusty a beer because I went to buy you another beer because obviously yours was shattered on the deck. And then <laughs> Nick was like, what's what? Why is Ainge so mad? And I, I was like, nah, I was like, I think he's just having a good time. The Dusty kid was cool. Like he was laughing with us later. Like I think I'm like there was yeah, one we, point. We, we all made friends by the, by closing time, we were all out on the sidewalk, hanging out, laughing, having a good time, which I think that's the almost like swingers. When they got into a fight with that, those those um, those Mexican guys, and then later on the next, like the following week, they're all playing like Sega Genesis. What? Well, oddly <laughs> enough, I said to Dusty, "You guys want to come over and play Sega Genesis later tonight?" And he's like, uh, "Nah, man, it's a PS2 era. We moved on from that like seven years ago." <laughs> why do you? Why do you still have a Sega Genesis in 2002? So okay, and then we went we went back to my apartment where Nick used to live and me and EJ lived, and we just had like a real fun late night like something as you're as i feel like at this stage in our lives we're all in our early 40s um all have families and wives and that's great that's a great way to live but like that that late night component kind of goes away right you got to work in the morning you're exhausted so i feel like at this point i might have a fun night out with my wife or my friends but it ends we all just go our separate ways at the end of the night and when you're young you go try to find a place for that that post-game party if you will and now I just remember that was a lot of fun too. I think we made food for everybody. Uh, we were hanging out. We were listening to a lot of Yuri Lewis and the News greatest hits. Um, in my opinion, it's still one of the greatest albums of all time. And we ended the night like five in the morning. Is that about what you guys remember? Uh, this was the second. This was the second of me passing out and waking up to the Huey Lewis and the News. And I remember there was so many people at your house. I walked out the front door. There was people hanging out. I walked through the sliding glass. There was people in that. There was people in the house. There was people in the kitchen. There was people in your bedroom. And I remember at some point, EJ, who was a strikingly attractive, bald, black man, was dressed to the nines. And I was I was like, dude, where are you going? And he just pointed at his phone, did not say a word, and left. And I was like, who would want to leave this party? Apparently EJ had something else going on. That's I don't think fifth round hit him the way it hit us. But yeah, I think that thing went till I know I had to be there. I couldn't go home. 
What do you right. remember, Nick? Yeah, I don't remember much after that. I, I guess we all crashed in your in your apartment, right? In my yeah, I think a lot of people woke up on my house the next day. It looked like Jonestown. Did, did, did your, your buddies just like dust themselves off and drive back to New Jersey? Yeah, no, they they it's weird, man. It, they always say five ra- five rounds, five men. It was us three and Mike Faz and Matt Faz, but they were oddly not there the whole weekend. Like they came in late Thursday and met us at at uh, Crowley's, and I think the first thing was like, "What the hell are you three dressed up for?" Because we all had those great outfits we talked about before. And then they were out early Sunday morning, and maybe maybe Matt, the younger brother, had to be back in school for Monday morning or something. I'm not sure. But they were out early on Sundays. Like they were obviously they had a lot of impact on the weekend, but they weren't there for the whole thing. They were from late Thursday to early Sunday. They missed a lot of the, the other shenanigans. But uh, but that being said, man, we, we woke up and then Sunday, I know Sunday involved a trip to Metter's family's house for Thanksgiving, which is really nice. And they welcomed us with open arms and maybe some other things. What else happened on Sunday? What am I missing? Metter and then Nick. Did we have was Silly Sunday invented yet or were we still calling it like whenever I hear somebody say Sunday fun day, I think it's the lamest thing ever because down here. We we termed it silly Sunday. weren't weren't we somewhat tailgating to go to my mom's apartment for Thanksgiving? There was some kind of pregame, but I don't think the I think yeah, to I think my silly Sunday was around back then. So I remember on we would fill up chuggalugs from like the Seven Eleven with with booze and go to like Barnes and Nobles. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, do you guys remember the and Metter could tell us if it's still there or not. But the the Crabtree Valley Mall, which probably like the, the the biggest and probably the nicest mall in that area, had a Mrs. Dunderbox German restaurant where they would have beer steins, and you could walk around the mall with beers. Am I right? Am I remembering that properly? Yeah, Dunderbox was there. The coolest thing about that, like growing up here, one of my real good friends from high school actually had his name on the wall because he had tried all the international beers. He was 16. <laughs> I re- to a lot of crank gankers that weekend like that's when crank gankers came out right? exactly right and that's where fifth round came from there's a call where dane cook calls an elderly couple and makes them play like a jeopardy type game show against their will and the lady's like i don't want to play anymore and he goes i'll call you back with fifth round and that's where we just started calling it fifth round weekend because i think i burned a bunch of the episodes from kazaa onto cds and we're driving around playing them um like I said, the, the 2002, man, it's a weird era because, like, you could do something like that, but there wasn't streaming media yet. There wasn't iPods. There wasn't uh, social media or, or phones the way we have now. Like, we coordinate all this on flip phones and landlines, and somehow it just worked out. I think kids today, I'm not a big, like, I hate millennials guy. I think they're the same as any other generation. But they don't understand how hard it was to coordinate a weekend like this without no texting, no Snapchat, no Instagram. Like I, I pulled off a massive party in my apartment without posting about it on social media. I think that people kind of sleep on how hard it was to do before all that stuff was around, and we pulled it off somehow. There wasn't even MySpace. Yeah, like it was. There, it was the, the closest in the social media was uh, AOL Instant Messenger, and it was your away message. It was like your social media, so you could theoretically put up on there. I'm having a party at my house at eight o'clock tonight, but who knows how many people would see that? As opposed to, I don't even know if you're a kid now how you keep a party under wraps, like. If you don't, if you mention social media, what's to stop a hundred people showing up to everything? Um, but I know they they got it figured out better than I do, obviously. So that was on, on Sunday. We did Metters family probably watch some NFL football. What else did we do on Sunday, guys? 
we walked in. So I remember, so we had, uh, it was me, Jello, Nick, and a young lady from Chicago. And I, I was just like, y'all got to come see my family's Thanksgiving. Like we were in my mom's two bedroom apartment. Like she lived alone. I think my sister was there. My nephews was like, somehow we had like 15 to 20 people in there. And I know Jello wants to bring this up so bad. Like, you know, I, I want to make a good and I'm, I'm basically bringing people from all around America to meet my family. Like you know, major states are being represented here. And we walk in and I look at the table and all the staples are there. And there's this one dish in like that I've never seen before. And it seemed to be some sort of a like a purple yogurt, but it had like meat in it. Like I, I was confused. I was frightened. I was embarrassed. I called my mom into the kitchen. Yeah, Jello, like you and Nick were staring at it in disgust. I, I, I couldn't explain it. And then you, you walked past me to my mom and you said, "What is that?" And she <laughs> responded with with this confused look, like it was the first time she had seen it. We don't know who brought it. And she said, "That's some kind of dish." <laughs> And I I believe, then I believe she, I I was like giving her the look like mom, you know, and then she removed it from the table. Like I remember it going away because I was, we were all frightened by it. We were confused by it. Like I I was just like, this is, this is not the impression I wanted to make to my friends. I remember your mom was like, hey, Jello, could you go stand on the balcony and throw that like a Frisbee as far away from my home as you can? (laughs) Oh, but hey, real quick, real quick. Southern Thanksgiving. That was the first thing I thought when I saw that dish was like the Water Boy. I was like, uh, they're eating snake. <laughs> I remember looking. What part of the snake is this? Snakes don't really have paws, but if I were to guess, I'd say it was the knee. <laughs> I remember looking at that dish and saying in my head, "Welcome to the dirty South." <laughs> Also, to 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 uh to to emphasize how how much that that whole weekend obviously but that dish affected me two days ago so uh, November seventeenth of two thousand twenty eighteen years later there's a radio station in New Jersey called one hundred seven point one the Boss and they put just like silly questions up on Instagram so they put up the other day what Thanksgiving dish would you quarantine this year and I couldn't write fast enough the purple meat concoction from Metter Martin's house in the in Thanksgiving of two thousand two as if any of their listeners or any of their Instagram followers know any idea what I'm talking about but I had to do it all right so we did Thanksgiving what was what was next after Thanksgiving? What do we do next? You guys remember? Ruby Tuesdays, right? Because I, I mean, if, if it was a Sunday in Raleigh, there's a chance Ruby Tuesday. You bailed. I think you were like, I gotta work tomorrow morning. I, I think, yeah. I think I had a yeah, dude. I I t- the the Faz brothers left because they had to get home. I left because I just couldn't take it anymore. It was like the game had gone into triple overtime, and I needed to go in the locker room and rest up. You guys stayed out. What did you get? What, probably Ruby Tuesdays, then maybe some PS2 at Metter's house. He's allowed to go home. What uh, What did I miss? Not much. I think Nick and I, we stayed at Ruby Tuesdays probably for a couple of hours because that was just where people didn't. It no longer, that's gone as well. But we went, the Ruby Tuesdays was in the mall. And I remember me and Nick and one other person, we went up there for probably two hours and then we went back to my house, and then, yeah, it was PS2. We were playing NCAA because we played FSU versus Notre Dame. And I think we took that well into the wee hours of Monday morning. 
Right. And then I remember Monday morning, I woke up to go to work. Nick was at my back door because he he had to get his luggage. And uh, I think it was a cab. This is pre-Uber, obviously. So I think he had a cab taking him to the airport. And he ran in, got his bag. He was still wearing the, the, the velour sweatsuit, got his bag, and left. And then I remember he left a very nice hat, like a winter hat, like a knit hat on the floor. And I'm like, dude, don't forget your hat. And he's like, mailed to me and jumped in the cab and was just gone. And that was the end of the weekend. Um, and I went to work, met her, went to work, Nick flew home. And then we all went our own separate ways for the, I mean, we had, we didn't see each other for another couple of years after that. We tried six round in Atlantic city. It was fun, but it was different for a, a bunch of reasons. Um, we tried seventh round, which was only me and Nick because Metter had some health complications. And then right after that weekend, which was 2007, we started, you know, we, we got married. We started families. We started different careers. We started having kids. We bought houses. Um, and really, have, have we, I know I, I've seen Nick, I believe, once in the last 10 years. His family was at the Jersey Shore. I've seen Metter at his wedding and maybe one or two other times. Um, but it, it, what, I, what I always say is like amazing is for guys that have seen each other so little, the amount of phone calls and text and social media interaction we have has been pretty remarkable. So with that being said, uh, Metter first, then Nick, what, what did you do after fifth round and what's your life been like since then? I, um, let's see, we, I'm trying to think, I know we had the, the one weekend we never talked, talk about, but it was the unofficial round. We were all at Myrtle beach together with my family. Like I remember, okay, I, Nick, I forgot about that. That was actually a lot of fun. I don't know how I forgot that. Okay. Yeah, I can't remember. Cause you also had a place down there. So I think your parents had a place or something. Nick flew directly. Usually the, usually the move is you fly into RDU and Raleigh, and then you drive the three hours into Myrtle Beach. Nick flew directly into Myrtle Beach. And I remember, like, looking for the airport, and I just found, like, an opening of land in a small building. And, uh, like, I pulled up, and it was, like, a valet-looking guy. And, and and I was like, yeah, I'm here to pick up my buddy. I was like, do you know what time the flights come in? And he pointed at the sky, and there was this small plane that almost looked like a pack of gum approaching us. <laughs> And I thought Nick is on this plane. And then like, yeah, we had, we had that weekend, but um, yeah, what I've been doing since I've been, I'm in construction. I'm a project manager. I handled North Carolina, Virginia, South Carolina. I spend a lot of my days um, in my truck on the road, traveling to look at different projects, which, um, which is why like podcasts are huge, man, because there's only so much you can listen to. And I've been, uh, Jello, I've been a huge fan. This the me and my cousin's podcast is tremendous, man. The thing you got going with Mike and Kenny, the guests you've had have all been amazing. Uh, I've listened to almost every. I just finished the uh, Sure Shot episode. Um, obviously, I was a big fan of the Taylor Allen one. I think that guy's tremendously talented. But um, I yeah, like I said, I'm married a beautiful young lady. We've got a, a house in Wake Forest. Um, I'm working six six days a week sometimes, but mostly for my cell phone. Life's been good. Been playing a lot of golf. Um, that's pretty much it. No no kids, no pets. And kind of do man, what real quick. Now, obviously, man, you got a great thing going on down in Wake Forest. What is the name of the brewery that's closest to your home? Oh, White Street. Yeah. I, been... I just want to say this real quick. In the fall of 2018, I had a week where I'd done a bunch of stand-up shows and I drove down to uh, Kitty Hawk to marry my cousin David and his wife Layla. Had a great wedding weekend. On the way back, we stopped and stayed with you guys for a couple of days. You guys couldn't have been better hosts. But I need confirmation on this podcast 
do you and your wife, Jamie, have some kind of ownership stake in that brewery? Because literally everything we did that weekend centered around going there, getting beers to go, eating all of our meals there. Like literally, if you're not getting paid for that kind of, of sponsorship, you definitely should be. Can you just get it out in the open or you just really love the beer there? Uh, we we just love the beer. I've been a, I've been accused by the employees of White Street of of being like a like a secret shopper type guy. They thought I was in with the owners. The where they actually brew the beer is a half mile from my house, and then they have the storefront, which is two miles from my house. But we are we are regulars in there. We we support the place. We just think it's you know tremendous. It, it's our first brewery. Now we have four more. But I'm still I'm still a diehard White Street guy. Um, no, no ownership stake. Uh, but yeah, we just, we just love it. It, it was so cool for, uh, you and Ambar to, to be a part of it that weekend. Like we love bringing new people in there. Yeah. We, we had a great weekend. Like, I, I'm at this, at this weird point in my life and you guys might agree with like every weekend I have still, I compare in my head somewhere in my psyche to fifth round, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, that was a fun weekend, but it, it wouldn't as good as fifth round or all oh, that was great. Almost lived up to fifth round weekend. Um, and that weekend with that wedding and hanging out with you guys was definitely one of the, one of the close ones. So shout out for that. Uh, Nick, what have you been up to in the last 18 years? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> there was a couple of years where I was still figuring shit out and then uh, got into medical sales and then eventually into software sales and then met my wife, Sue, got married in 2010 and then immediately started having children. And then I, I just been kind of oozing into middle age since, you know. Yeah, I, th- I think I mean I, we all have. You can't argue that. But I mean, obviously, I, I this couple things good. Good to have like a like a real fun time in your life to look back on. And then, uh, you know, I think I think we're at a cool phase, man. We're at a cool phase. We're, we're doing the things that are important, paying mortgages and buying sensible cars and hopefully establishing some retirement account type stuff. But at the same time, still like, exchanging like very funny text messages or memes or just like, like you know, b- joking around online about jokes that are 15, 18 years old right now. Um, I like this phase in life. I really do, man. I loved what fifth round was. I loved that first year at NC State. It was a great time in my life. Um, but if, if what came out of that was our conversations and our text messages and this podcast today, um, I'm cool. Like that, that's a win for me, in my opinion. But with that being said, everybody thriving as adults in 2020, as you look back on that weekend in November of 2002, what did fifth round mean to you? Like what, obviously for me, it meant the beginning of my social media presence, which led to stand up comedy and a weekend I pretty much compare all other weekends to throughout the last close to 20 years. Um, and some of my best friends. I met, I, I was already friends with you guys, but I, I kind of solidified the friendship with two of my best friends in the world. What did it mean to you, Matter? It's, I mean, obviously, I mean, it, uh, it, it could never, it, it, like you said, it's that weekend you compare every other fun weekend to. Like, it can't be repeated. You can't go back to the well like it, it, it was, it was just that, that weekend, like I had two of my best friends in the world still to this day. Uh, it, it's, it's what other weekends are stacked up against and none of them ever come close. That's, you know, we talk about fifth round 18 years is a long time to still remember, you know, one weekend. It, uh, is it definitely like, I don't know, only so many things like change your life, but that, that's the weekend for me that you stack the other ones up against. Now, obviously all of our weekends are different now. They're more subdued you know we all have you know great lives and so all happily married and 
Um, but it, yeah, it is that weekend you point at. I mean, it, you remember it, you we still talk. We're on a podcast talking about it. It's, yeah, it's it was that weekend. Nick, what's it mean to you 18 years later? Yeah, I agree. It was a, a magical time. Like I, for me, honestly, knowing you and Metter, but then like Mike and Matt, who I didn't know, everyone just clicked with them as if we knew them as long as you knew them. And uh, again, a fun weekend where it was just a bunch of guys having fun. You would think like, oh, it was a fun weekend. You, you immediately when you're young, you think, oh, we met women or something. There was none of that. We weren't like there was no agenda for that. We were just a bunch of guys having fun. Um, we we spent 20 minutes lip syncing Huey Lewis, and it was like the best 20 minutes. Of my- and it's I think it's that point in your life where it's you know you're young, and that's when you have the most fun. But also like you're more open to meeting new people. But I mean I, I probably experienced only one thing close to that since where you know going on a ski trip with a couple guys that I worked with that I was you know friends with, and there was a guy that. I met for the first time that just clicked and we became friends since. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those weekends there where everybody, like the chemistry there, like everybody fed off of each other and it was just a great weekend. Yeah. Well said, well said by both of you guys. I think that's it. I think you guys nailed it. It's all that needs to be said. Uh, fifth round, November, 2002 it was bigger than Mike Faz it was bigger than Matt Faz. It was bigger than Metter Martin. It was bigger than Nick Mello. And it was way bigger than me. Me and my friends that became like my family. It's a podcast.